0: So then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the seasons continue to turn onward and onward. Advent turns to Christmas. Christmas now turns to Epiphany. And today we are celebrating that holiday of Epiphany. And Epiphany is that special revelation that we get. And the special revelation that we have today is of the King. Now, when Jesus is born, and that's what we celebrate as Christmas. We see him come into our world and our lives. One thing that I, I love to focus on and remember, at least for myself, is how this Jesus is the prophesied king and how he has come for his people. But he's not arrived in any way like any king we might expect, but rather he is born in that manger, that feeding trough. We wouldn't expect God to come to creation in such a humble way, but this is who our God is. And it's a wonderful and joyous thing to see who he is and his his character to show us this love. But what I find interesting as we look at Matthew chapter 1 is that Matthew, when he describes Jesus and his birth, he's not king. He's the Emmanuel. He is God with us, but he is not the king. The king for Matthew is Herod in the days of King Herod. He's the one who sits on the throne. He is the king of the Jews. And so this is kind of a strange reading that we get when all of a sudden these, these foreigners, these strange men from the east show up looking for the king. They go to the king saying, where is the king? And of course, everybody's disturbed by this. If you ever watch any of those political shows or any of the fantasy shows like Game of Thrones, one where they have kings and courts and all those things, you know, there's a lot of political intrigue. There's a lot of usurping. There's all this sorts of stuff. And when that stuff happens, when all that drama occurs, people usually die, right? And this is kind of the image I want you to have in your mind, not of dragons or fantasy beasts or anything like that, but of the political intrigue that... Everyone along with Herod is disturbed by this because here is somebody who is threatening Herod's power and his authority. This is a threat to his reign as king. This is not really good news for Herod or the people of Jerusalem. So Herod gets these wise men and he says, All right, hold on just a second. He goes over to his scribes and his... uh, um, his scholars and gets them to say, okay, so where is this Christ to be born? That's another interesting part of this, right? Because Herod knows who it is already. Why else would you go to your, your, your scholars and ask them where, where the Christ would be born? He knows who this is. This is a long awaited one. This is the true king of the Jews. And so Herod gets the wise men together and he says, All right, so I want you to go and find this this man that I may worship him too. And they leave and go do so. And of course, we believe Herod. He certainly has no other objectives here. But the wise men leave, they go and they travel to Bethlehem led by the star. They're naive to the plans of Herod and they meet the holy family. See, when they're looking for a king, they go to the palace. And how strange it is that that's not where they find him. They, they find the king among a peasant family. And they come bearing gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We all know what gold is. Frankincense is a type of incense. It smells good. And myrrh is a type of balm, good for the skin. But the important thing to see about these gifts is that they're gifts fit for a king. What use would a peasant family have for things like this? But these are the gifts that they wish to give to the true king. They know who he is. One thing that I caught last night that had had not really hit me is when they find him, they fall down immediately and worship him. Verse 11 of Matthew 2. They know who this Jesus is. They travel from their lands seeking him, and when they find him, they fall down and start worshiping him. These are pagan men. These are people who have not, probably not heard the prophecies. If they had, it's in some dusty scroll that they had sitting in their stuff or something like that. This isn't their faith. This isn't their religion. The magi, these are guys that looked at stars to try and interpret what was going to happen, to try and predict the future or look for good or bad omens. So how amazing it is that they now travel so far... And find the true king and worship him. But yet there's Herod and all of the people of Jerusalem oblivious. This Jesus is the true Lord of the nations, he is the true king. And what's fascinating is how he continues his kingly work unlike any other king. Kings sit in palaces, they sit in luxury. They have, they have stockpiles of gold and treasure, they get what they want, they expect a certain decorum when you greet them, you have to bow a certain way, you have to address them a certain way. But Jesus is unlike any of these kings. Look at how he interacts with people throughout the scriptures. That after the visit of the wise men, Jesus grows, becomes an adult, and begins his earthly ministry. And he does so by seeking out those who have been disenfranchised and those who have been cast aside by society. You see, that's below the work of a king, but not for our King Jesus. He's not a king that goes and makes these earthly demands, getting everything that he wants. But instead, he finds those people who are broken and crippled. He's not living lavishly. Actually, he's homeless, right? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He has no palace. He has no throne. And when Jesus meets a threat, we see him as the Prince of Peace, as we love to call him. That he doesn't meet it with a, a fight or an attack, but meets it with love and grace. Because an earthly king would send out battalions of soldiers to go and face their enemies. But rather, Jesus faces the enemy himself. And he doesn't go like a, like a warrior, with, uh, with his weapons drawn and raised and ready to fight. But as a servant. One of the things that's always struck me as fascinating about who Jesus is. As we see throughout the scriptures that he has been given all this power and all this authority over all creation. And probably with the snap of his fingers he could wipe all the problems away. But he doesn't. Instead of overthrowing all those sinful evils of the world, he allows them to overthrow him. As he takes our place on the cross. As he takes our place in punishment. As he takes our place in death but also as he rises from the grave. It is in this sacrificial, kingly work that we receive God's love and God's grace. We also see who God is. He is intimately involved in our creation. With his power and authority, he can simply say, yeah, it's done, it's taken care of you guys, go have fun. But no, he enters into our world, into our lives, intimately, being one of us, going through what we go through, he is intimately familiar with the human condition, and in this love of work, in this work of love, and in this amazing grace, as we love to sing, that we have seen, there is salvation. And what's wonderful is then in God's kingdom, where he continues to reign as king, we are not welcomed in as citizens, which we might expect, but rather, as Paul tells us in Galatians 4, we're welcomed in as his children. We are welcomed in as sons and daughters. No other king would do this. It would just create problems for an earthly king. But for our heavenly king, this is his purpose. But you know me. I don't like to just hear these stories and reflect on those stories. I like to think practically. So what does this mean for us? What now? How do we continue living with this knowledge? Why do we care to hear the story throughout Advent, Christmas, and now into Epiphany? Why do we continue thinking about this stuff? What does it actually mean? Well, Paul is always a good one to turn to for the what's next questions. And before our Ephesians 3 reading in Ephesians 2, Paul describes the mercy of God that is found in Jesus. That even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive. Through Jesus. This is the kingly work that we were just reflecting on, and this is what we have seen him do in our lives. Paul then turns in Ephesians 2 to show the very important part that now the Gentiles, well, anyone who's not Jewish basically, the Gentiles are now a part of this. We're once separated. We're once, you know, foreigners. You're, you do not inherit this sort of thing. You're outside of the family. But now we have been welcomed into the family to receive all the same blessings and all the same promises of the family. I like how Paul also illustrates it in Romans, where he talks about us being grafted into the tree, welcomed in as, as a complete part of it. We're not just among the people of God in the kingdom of God. We are sons and daughters by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And then as we look at our reading from Ephesians 3, we see that this divine mystery, this thing that was at one point in time unknown to all humanity, has now been revealed. This king of all nations has now been made known to all nations, and it's doing it through the Spirit. We are receiving through the Spirit all of these blessings to know who our God is. We hear it through His Word. Some of us are called through the sacraments, like holy baptism. Some of us, just through the various experiences of life. God is continually seeking and reaching out and trying to grab us and pull us to Him to be a part of not just this kingdom, but this family, so that we can be God's people and share in His grace. And again, this all sounds just lovely and wonderful, brings joy to our hearts. But practically, what does that mean and what does that look like? And so in Ephesians 3, Paul again gives us some good insight. In verses 10, 11, and 12, Paul says, So that through the church, underline that, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Underline it, highlight it, through the church. This is where God has chosen to work. I so often just find it remarkable that God has chosen a broken man like me to proclaim his word. I find it so remarkable that God works through some of the most awful cases in creation to show His love and His grace. So the question is, where are you in all of this? You are here, you are in the church. As I look around, I see many people who I know to be a part of the church. So what are you doing to share this wisdom, this amazing grace I know that some of you are taking on your responsibility in your families, parents, grandparents, brothers and sisters, children, whatever it might look like. You're taking on that responsibility to share God's grace of God's kingdom among your family, among your loved ones. Some of you share your money, your time, your energy, your abilities through this church to be a blessing to this Faribault community. As we reach out not only in this congregation, but also through mercies like St. Vincent de Paul, Salvation Army, Cathedral Cafe. Some of you join with this church to proclaim God's love and his grace to the nations that God has put around us. As you seek out those immigrant families who are coming into our nation, as you're sharing with them love and mercy and grace. As you're joining with me as we're trying to get something like Pablo working so that we can assist new families who are coming to our community. So the question is, what are you doing? What are you doing to share this story? Where do you fit into all of this? Nancy said it very well in her children's message, that through this grace of Jesus, we get to do this. He empowers us to do this. He empowers us to share this story of our God who intimately came to our creation, who was born as one of us among us, who lived a humble life as an example, but also as our teacher and also as an amazing healer, who then continued by by suffering and dying and being buried to forgive all of us all of our sins, but also then rising from the grave to take his place of his throne, in his kingdom, and then bringing us into that kingdom through the church. So where do you fit into all of this? Where do you participate? I want you to go and prayerfully consider where you get to join in to this wonderful story, this wonderful message. Prayerfully consider, is there something more you need to do? Is there a person that God is continually putting around you that he is calling to you to bring the kingdom to. Because the true king has come, and he is Lord of the nations. And he has invited you not to be a citizen of his kingdom, but to be a member of his family. Amen? Amen. Amen.